Good morning. Turn to someone and say, spring is coming. Some of you are very jazzed about that. Um, There's going to be at least one more snow, though. All right. Um, You know, I I, I just want to kind of take off on what we've just done and say uh, thanks so much for your faithful giving. If you remember back to last August when we shared kind of our our spending plan for this year and um, and said, hey, would you, if you think that this is a good thing, would you just affirm that? Um, and, and people did. It's, it was probably the most aggressive spending plan that we've ever had as a church. And, um, and there was, there was a clear sense of people saying, yeah, we need to do this. Well, long story short, um, this past week we were able to take money that we built into the plan, uh, about $20,000, not about $20,000 $20, exactly, uh, and, um, and apply it to the principal on the mortgage, uh, the, the indebtedness that we have. Some of you are going, okay, so that's great. Now it's, you know, no big deal at all. It actually, it's, it's a, it's a huge deal. Um, it cuts about three months off of our payback time. Uh, our scheduled time where the, where the mortgage will be paid off is in June of 23 now. It's uh, about that time. And at that point in time, at that point in time, it'll free up over $11,000 a month for ministry. That's what we're really excited about. It's not just that we can say, oh, the mortgage is paid off. It's that at that point in time, uh, rather than giving money to, to uh, the lender, we'll be able to use it for kingdom stuff in a, in a great way. So uh, that's, that's just very cool. Hey, if you're new, if today is your first time here, Oh, I want to say welcome to you. We're in a series that we've been talking about prayer. Right? We've had this sense that that we need to grow as followers of Jesus in in our prayer lives, and so um, we're in this in this uh, series called Unscripted. And uh, if you're new, I would encourage you to maybe go home and to go online or or to the North Point app and just kind of recover the last four or five weeks of, of messages to kind of get up to speed. Because what we've been talking about is that that um, our communication with God is more than just simply coming with a list of needs that we have. That it really is all about our conversation with Him. It's the it's the um, the the communication that we have on a daily basis with him. Um, today, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that, that uh, I don't know that I remember hearing messages about very often, but whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you've grown up in church or not, you've probably heard of this Bible story. Um, if you grew up in a church like years and years and years ago, this is one that you probably got in children's church. All right, um, but I don't know that it was ever really focused on the aspect of prayer. Um, I'm I'm uh, jazzed about it for a lot of different reasons because I think it's just a it's an incredible testament to the power of God, but it's also this incredible challenge for us about how to pray and what prayer looks like in our lives. So if you've got the North Point app, open that up at this point. Jump into the message into the message piece in the North Point app. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Daniel 6. We're going to read a long passage today from Daniel 6. And I think that you will be very jazzed about that. I am. If you don't have any background in church, this is probably what you know about the story. There was this guy named Daniel. 
he was thrown into a lion's den, and he came out alive. Most people have some sense of that. Here is, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Before we get there, let me just give you some context. Um, God had a special relationship with the nation of Israel. The, the, um, his people, the people that he had a promise with were the Jewish people. And, and so there was this nation of Israel. They had kings, David, Solomon. After that, the kingdom split. There was the, the nation of Israel that was ten tribes, nation of Judah that was two tribes. They were split because basically because they turned their back on God and were trying to do things their own way, especially the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel ends up being conquered and just kind of disseminates out into nothingness, and they, they vanish. And um, about 600 years before Jesus, the Babylonians come in and, and, and conquer Judah, and they take them captive. Sometimes if you, if you hear about uh, the exile, that describes what happened when Babylon conquered Israel, or conquered Judah, because what they did was they conquered them, tore down the temple, did all kinds of stuff, but they took all of the leaders from the nation of, uh, from Judah, and they spread them out all over the kingdom. Um, they were exiled, they were taken in, and put in different places. When that happened, there was, there was a guy who was young, uh, a, a guy named Daniel. He was probably either a child or a young teenager, and he comes uh, uh, to Babylon as a part of the exile, and because of who he is, we'll see this in a second, he ends up having a position of influence. Babylon ultimately is, is uh, overtaken by, uh, by Persia, and um, the Persian kingdom uh, takes over, and, and um, Daniel still maintains a position of power, even though this, uh, this, the, the power structure has changed. If you look at Daniel 5, uh, a, a new king comes in. His name is Darius or Darius. Uh, uh, people pronounce it both ways. And, um, and, and he sees Daniel as a, as a tremendous asset. So here we are in Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. What's a satrap, right? Good, good question. They were, they were basically local governors that their job was to make sure that the king got all the money that was due him. So they were local officials that were around uh, to make sure that the money kept coming back in where it was supposed to. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss, so that he'd get all the money that he wanted. So there's 120 guys um, uh, leading, the, leading the nation, three guys over them. They're, they're like the cabinet for, for the king, for Darius. Now, Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this... The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. You understand what's going on? They don't like it that this foreigner is over the top of them and they're going to take him down. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless... It has something to do with the law of his God. 
So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. You are the best. Man, we love serving you. The royal administrators, prefects, who are also governmental officials, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the lion's den. They say, everybody's all in agreement. One person's not in agreement, right? Daniel obviously is not a part of this. Um, It's interesting that for the Persians, one of their favored methods of execution was a lion's den. It was a pit, typically, that that could have a covering that went down into it. Lions were kept in there. They were fed uh, not very often. So anybody that went in there got mauled and killed Instantly, it, uh, it was pretty effective. All right, um, that was a joke. You, you're allowed to laugh there. Okay, now your Majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Pause for just a second. If you were around when we did the Esther series a, a year ago, we talked about the, this whole deal that with the Medes and the Persians, like for us, if there's a bad law, we can just repeal the law. We can create a, a different law that overrules it. All that kind of stuff. That was not the case. When, with the Medes and the, with the, with a Persian king, once a law was made, it was set and it could not be changed, it could not be altered, it could not be amended. It was, it was true and it would be carried out. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the wind, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had before. Then these men men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. King, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except for you, your majesty, will be thrown in the lion's den? The king answered, yeah, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can ever be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, may he rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Uh, Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he couldn't sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. 
When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They haven't hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Crazy story, right? Crazy story. Um, I, I just want to, I want to, Tell the story again. It's, it, uh, there's so many aspects of this that are, that are so incredible. The Jews are in captivity. Uh, Daniel's stuck there. He's not been in his homeland probably since he was a child. Um, and yet in this, other, in this other context, in this other setting, because of his character and his integrity, he rises to a place of influence that's unbelievable in the set, in the setting. Darius the king loves Daniel. He loves his leadership. He loves that he can count on him because he is faithful, because he's honest, because he doesn't change. Hear this. Hear this. When you act with character and integrity at work in the community, it's not it's not uncommon for you to raise to a place of influence among your peers and among the people because they recognize that God is working in you, that you can be counted on. If, if uh, this, is not, this is not the core part of the message at all, but man, don't miss this. Daniel's influence was to be the number one guy to rule all of Persia, all of Persia, and it was because of his faithfulness and character and integrity. That should challenge us. That should challenge us. Colossians 3 says, work mightily as unto the Lord. Man, don't accept, don't accept this prevailing spirit that exists in our culture that, yeah, I got to go do my job. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to put my time in. I'm going to, you know, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do that. I don't really want to do it. Don't accept that. When you do that, you take yourself out of the hand of God and the influence that he could use you to make an impact where you are, where you live. Um, it, it may mean promotions, it may not. There are no guarantees. But when we act with character and integrity, God will use us in a great way. Um, Daniel's peers are jealous, right? They want his job. So they, they launched this scheme to take him down. Don't miss this either. This is not the core part of the message, but it's there in the story, and I, and I just got to talk about it. When, when, you're, when you're living with character and integrity, when you're doing what God is, wants you to do, when God puts you in a position of influence, there will always be people who want to take you down. Don't feel like, God, what's going on? When you're doing what you're supposed to do, there are always going to be people who want to take you down. 
It's just a fact of life because they want what you have. They don't think it's fair. Don't you be one of those people. Just recognize when you live in that world that that's going to happen. And, and Daniel lived in a political world, right? Leadership in government. Those guys are all honest, right? They all have good motives all of the time. Someone is always going to be wanting to take you down. Uh, the state traps come to the king. They launch this plan. They, they suck up to him, really. And, um, and uh, the king says, oh, that sounds like a good plan. He makes the law, and the, the, and the law says, you know what? If you pray, you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. If you pray to anybody except to Darius. The law gets passed and published. Daniel finds out about it, and what's he do? He just keeps on keeping on. He does what he always does. He goes home. He opens his window towards Jerusalem. Um, that's the way that they prayed. Um, you know, it had been prophesied and said, there's going to come a time that we lose Jerusalem. And when you do, turn towards Jerusalem to pray. Daniel did it. He, knelt, he, he didn't change anything. He just kept on praying. And the, and the satraps then are watching the whole time. They're, they're watching. It's not just one time, right? Because they go to Darius and said, he's still doing it three times a day. They're, they're there taking notes. You know, they're probably um, writing out his prayers so that they, uh, because they don't have the TV crew that they can call and capture him, right? Uh, they're going through that process. Um, the satraps come to Darius and say, Darius, you've got to make an example of Daniel. He's disobeyed the law. You made the law. The law can't be changed. You've got to make a, uh, uh, an example of him. And Darius is grieved in his spirit because this is the guy he's chosen to lead the country. And he's, and he's uh, putting him in certain death. Darius is thinking, isn't there something I can do? And there's nothing that he can think of that can change the circumstances. He's, he has to throw Daniel in the lion's den. So he does, but when he does, he says, he said, man, may, may the God that you serve, that you've been praying to, may he deliver you. And he goes to bed and he can't sleep all night long. He's tossing and turning, worried about what he's done, worried about Daniel, worried about his friend. Um, the, uh, he gets up the next morning at dawn, and he comes, and, and you got to know that he, he ran to the lion's den, and then his knees are shaking, and that he's concerned because he thinks what's going to happen is that he's going to see this body that's just been destroyed by the lions, right? But he calls out, Daniel, has, has your God been able to save you? And Daniel says, you know what, king? An angel came, and I've just been lying around <laughs> all night long. You saw that coming, right? Uh, Daniel says, King, God has shown up in a huge way. He sent an angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. And Daniel comes out. They pull him out of the lion's den. He's ecstatic about the power of God. Darius is ecstatic about the power of God. And Darius is really, really ticked with the satraps, right? So he takes them and their wives and children. Um, which was, that was a normal part of the Persian legal system. It was a pretty good deterrent. You mess up, it's not just you. It's your wife, your kids, your whole family that's on the line. They throw them in the, in the lines. And if you look at the end of that in verse 23, 24, um, people, people always say, oh, the lions were fed. Daniel was there. It wasn't really a miracle at all. They, you know, they weren't hungry that night. Before they hit the ground being thrown in the pit, 
They're, they're mauled to death. Their bones are crushed by the lions. What is it that we're to learn, I think, from, from Daniel 6? When we talk about this whole concept of prayer and, and unscripted, what, what is it that we're to learn? The first lesson, I think, is this. Prayer is the lifeblood of our relationship with God. Prayer is the lifeblood of our relationship with God. Talking to God, talking with God, may be as important as anything in your spiritual life. Let me say that again. Talking to God, talking with God, that may be as important as any aspect of your spiritual life because it's communication. It's spending time with him. It's hearing from him and talking to him about what's going on in your life. It's not, it's not simply coming to him with a list that you check off, uh, you know, Aunt, Aunt Mary's got cancer and, um, and my cousin's facing financial difficulty. It's, we can do all those things. But prayer, as you see it in the book of Daniel, and in this context, Daniel wasn't coming with a list and just marking things off. He was having conversation with God day in, day out, three times a day. That Three times a day he had a, a, a place that was set aside. He had time that was set aside for him to be able to talk with God. Um, the, uh, I, I think to try and be in a relationship with God without prayer is a little like going to the mountains and never going to the top of the mountain. Never taking the car up towards the top to the, to the observation area. Never climbing. Never hiking. It's just sitting at the base of the mountain and saying, man, those mountains are great. And they are. But trying to, trying to live in relationship with God without prayer is like missing the experience that happens when you're enveloped by the mountains. When you're in awe of their wonder because you can see for miles and miles and miles around. You, your perspective has changed. On the mountaintop, in a way, it, it's, it's different than it is when you're down at the surface level. There's a Puritan saying that says, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. What's that mean? It means that when we pray, we need to keep talking to God until we're really pouring out what's inside of us. Uh, D.A. Carson, a theologian from Canada, said, If we pray until we pray, eventually we come to delight in God's presence, to rest in his love, to cherish his will. In the Western world, we urgently need this advice, for many of us in our praying are like nasty little boys who ring front doorbells and run away before anyone answers. Is that piercing to you? <laughs> Pray until you pray. What, what's the scripture say about how Daniel prayed, what he did? It's, it says in verse 10 that Daniel thanked God, that his normal routine was that he thanked God. He thanked God for the stuff. Around. We've talked a lot about that. Carrie's message at the beginning of the year was, was great, just in terms of developing a list of, thank, of things that you're thankful for, thanking God. But it also said that it says in verse 11 that Daniel asked for God's help. To me, it's incredibly um, comforting and challenging to recognize that Daniel, in a position of power where he would have been in charge of all of Persia, asked for God's help three times a day 
to lead in his work in leading the country. Ask for God's help. That's the kind of conversation that you have with a friend, right? That's what it's about. Um, for Daniel, praying was as much a part of his life as, uh, as eating. It was just a normal thing. Don't forget, he's 80 or 85 years old at this point in time. He's not a young kid that gets thrown in the lion's den. He's, he's, he's probably somewhere between 80 and 85. Um, he's administrating the details of the only superpower in the world. And he's praying, talking to God constantly. Um, what can we learn? Prayer is the lifeblood of our relationship with God. And your conversation with God can't be stopped by a law. Darius made this law. Uh, Nobody can pray to anybody except to me. Did that stop Daniel's prayers? Not at all. Even though the satraps had made it illegal, Daniel continued to pray. You know, there are forces in our country, in the U.S., that are doing everything they can to make prayer illegal to make prayer in public, um, to remove it in every way possible. In 1962, the Supreme Court said schools could no longer have a memorized rope prayer that was, that was uh, said in a classroom, that it was mandated that everybody pray together. In 1992, the court said that um, there could no longer be a voluntary prayer time because that created peer pressure on students who didn't want to pray and forced them out. There have been legal things that have challenged what, what can happen in prayer. But you know what? You know what? There's still prayer in school. A lot. You know how I know? Because I was a teacher, and all you have to do is say, get out your paper and pen. We have a quiz today. <laughs> and the praying starts rapidly, right? Right? I, I was talking to Carrie, Carrie Bates for one of our elders who's a teacher at Puama, Westphalia, and he said it's not unusual for him to give a test in physics, psychology, with the classes that he teaches, and to have the students sign their name on the front, and at the top of the paper, there will be four initials, H-S-H-M, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> You can, you can create all the laws and rules that you want. It can't stop prayer, right? We, we don't need to be shook by that. I, has it had a negative impact on our culture? I, I think absolutely it has. But I think probably it's because we have not taken up the mantle of prayer with greater level of responsibility. Um, Prayer can be outlawed in your workforce, and, um, and yet salesmen will always pray, right? Deal brokers will always pray. End-of-the-month end quotas will always make people pray because we can't do it on our own. We need God's help. And when we walk with God, we'll turn to him. So it doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what, you know, what's there. Pray, pray, pray. When, when prayer is outlawed, what do you do? What do you do? What, what was the example of Daniel? Here's, I think, what you do. You keep on praying, you trust God, and you accept the consequences. Um, could Daniel have shut his window to Jerusalem and prayed silently? He could have. 
Could he have not turned towards Jerusalem? He could have. Have you wondered when you read this, this account, what the rest of the exiles, of the Jewish exiles do? Did some of them go underground? Could Daniel have gone covert in his prayer time? Found a, found a secret place that nobody would have caught him? Could he have changed his time and his place? Um, he could have done all that. Why didn't he? Because praying wasn't something that he did. It was who he was. Why didn't he? Because prayer was as common for Daniel as eating. It was just a part of his nature and his character, his normal life routine. He continued to pray. He trusted God. And he was willing to accept the consequences. Um, that, that, you know, what made it so easy for Daniel? It was because that was who he was. He was absolutely sure of the faithfulness and power of God. He had grown up as a foreigner in a strange land. He had seen the power of God with his buddy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had seen the power of God give him the ability to interpret dreams. Read the first five uh, chapters of the book of Daniel. Daniel. Daniel was so aware of the power and faithfulness of God, that it was not even a question for him about whether to go underground. It was the most normal thing in the world. Hear me in this. I think part of the lesson for us today is that we need to be prayed up all the time. We need prayer to be a part of our lifeblood as followers of Jesus. It's part of who we do, who we are, what we, what we do just normally. That it's not something we check off a list. It's the way that we talk constantly back and forth with God. Be prayed up. And when we're prayed up, we're ready for whatever happens. Daniel wasn't shook when the law was passed. I, it, it looks at, from reading the story that, that, um, that it didn't face him at all. He went right home, did what he was called to do, just kept on keeping on. Be prayed up. You've got to be prayed up in order to be ready for the crisis that comes in your life. You have to be prayed up to be ready for the crisis that comes in your life. We don't know when the crisis will come, but it will come, Right? And we've got to be ready. Th- th- think, about, th- think about on an athletic field, how do athletes prepare for the last five minutes of a game? They practice every day, all the time, right? They're doing conditioning stuff. They're doing everything that they can to prepare for those last few minutes of the game to have the strength and to have the awareness of what they need to do in the middle of the crisis in order to be able to win. Musicians, how do they prepare for concerts? They prepare by playing scales, by doing all those things that just make their fingers work, that make them able to to create beautiful sounds out of their horns or, or whatever it is with their voice. We've got to be prayed up to be ready for the crisis that comes, that will come to our lives. Same idea, different analogy. I, I don't know about you, but when it's snowing this week, you know, when they were saying six to nine inches of snow, one of the things I did was I went to the gas station and filled up my car with gas because I didn't want to get stuck someplace and not have the fuel to be able to make it home or to stay warm if I got stranded, right? 
We've got to be prayed up for what's coming in our future. It, God hears us when we pray in crisis. D- d- you know, don't mistake that. But what, what allows us to be able to live through that crisis with joy and victory and a, and a, and a sense of calm, it's being prayed up. Living in a storm is no challenge when prayer is the foundation of your life. Don't miss this. And this is, I think, the hardest part of this message. The satraps didn't throw Daniel in the lion's den. Darius didn't throw Daniel in the lion's den. The law didn't throw Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel chose the lion's den. And he chose it because it was a choice of the lion's den or keep my conversation with God, keep my relationship with him. Did Daniel know that he was going to live? Not at all. There, there was no guarantee that God was going to bring him through that. But he couldn't hedge on his relationship with his God. He's prayed up. That, that's what allowed him to do that. Don't ever sell out on your commitment to Jesus, on your relationship with God, to avoid difficult or dangerous or hard circumstances. Don't ever sell out your commitment to Jesus, your relationship with God, in order to avoid difficult or dangerous or hard circumstances. Peter wrote and said, it's, For it's commendable if somebody bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that's commendable before God. Don't sell out. I, I know, I know you have pressure at work to do things that you know are wrong. I know that there's pressure in the community to do things that you don't agree with as a follower of Jesus. I know that there's pressure in your family to act a certain way or to say a certain thing or to do stuff. Um, Don't sell out your relationship with Jesus. Now, understand all of Scripture. Speak the truth in love. Don't, you know, don't be obnoxious. Don't. I, the, the cool thing I think about the example of Daniel is that he didn't draw any attention to himself at all. He didn't call the news crew and say, hey, I'm going to be praying in my room. Come check it out. Daniel just kept doing what he was doing. He lived with consistency. He was, he was ready for whatever might happen. There are two challenges that I want to leave you with this week. Um, the first is this. We've, we've talked about each message having some challenges, some, some things that can help us in this whole idea of how we grow in our prayer life. The first challenge is this. Build consistency in your prayer time. I love the example that's there of Daniel. Three times a day, he's talking to God. He's thanking God. He's coming to God and asking for help. Build consistency in your prayer time. Maybe that's your personal time in the morning when you first wake up, that you just spend some time with God talking to him. Maybe, maybe your prayer time is when you take a shower in the morning. 
that, you know, you got the fan on and so you can talk and have the conversation with God. And you, maybe, maybe your time with God, one of your times with God is when you, when you commute, when you're driving, turn the radio off and just talk to God as you travel. Maybe, maybe you've got a, a specific time later in the day or whatever. Use that time, but build consistency. Maybe, maybe for you, it's getting to work 15 minutes before everybody else and just praying for the people that you work with, praying for the work that's on your desk. Not taking 15 minutes of time that you're being paid to work, but going early so that you can do that, so that you can pray and just talk to God about what's going on. Just like Daniel, thanking God and asking him for his help. Second challenge is this. Boldly follow the nudge of the Holy Spirit to pray. Whenever, wherever, however. Don't let culture determine when you're going to pray or whether you're going to pray. If you sense a nudge from the Holy Spirit, if you sense a nudge from something or someone uh, to pray for someone, chances are really good that it's the Holy Spirit or that it's Jesus, right? Because Satan is not going to nudge you to pray. So when you're talking to somebody and they're, and they're sharing the struggles that they're going through, and you think, man, I should pray for them right now. That's the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, that, here's the thing with, with this challenge, that, that you would in that moment say to that person, man, I'm hurting with you. Would it be okay if I pray for you? Would it be okay if I pray for you right now? Most people, regardless of whether they're a follower of Jesus, will say, yeah, I guess that's okay. Hear, hear me on this. Hear me on this. There are hundreds of people in your life who have never had anyone pray for them by name in person. They've never had anyone talk to God about their issues. And so when you say, hey, is it okay if I pray for you? They're thinking, oh, yeah, maybe they'll go home and do that tonight before they go to bed. And that's great. That's cool. That's, you know, that's great. But they've never, they've never experienced someone right then stopping and praying. Man, it, it, is, it is my desire that when we come together as a body of Christ on Sunday morning, and you're sharing with your friends, you're talking to people in your life group, whatever, when stuff's going on, that there would be clusters of people praying around the auditorium, out in the, in the um, atrium, you know, out in the parking lot, that that would just be a normal part of what we do. When you get the nudge from the Holy Spirit to pray for someone, don't miss it. Don't shelve it. Now, it may be, it may be that you need to you know, postpone it to a later time. But I want to encourage you to follow that nudge in that moment. Um, I know in my life, when I have done that, the, the impact of God on me has been huge. I, I remember a, a long time ago when, when we were young, we were living in an apartment complex. Um, we had, Leah was little, uh, you know, less than a year old. We had a, a neighbor friend that also had a little girl that was, that was living in an apartment complex. And she came over for dinner. We fixed her French toast or pancakes or something like that. 
And I prayed before we, before the meal with Amy and, and um, with her little girl. And, um, and, and in, the, in the prayer, I thank God that Amy could, could eat with us. And I prayed for God to bless her and take care of her as she's, as she's raising her little girl. We finished praying, you know, we, we pray before meals. And Amy's weeping weeping over this meal of French toast, you know. Um, uh, no one had ever prayed for her by name before. Uh, when, when we moved to Joplin, uh, you know, when you go through a job transition, it's great because when you start a new job, you don't have anything carrying over from the past, right? You're, everything is brand new and you got all this time. Well, when, I, when I moved to Joplin and, and started teaching at, at Ozark, I got a call from a guy in the community. I can't even remember what it was about, but we're, we're making small talk on the phone. And, um, and the guy tells me about this crisis that's going on in his life. And, um, and it, it went very rapidly from the crisis in his life to the stuff that we're supposed to do, whatever. And after, after I hung up, I thought, man, I need to pray for him. And so I wrote him a note and just said, hey, and really enjoy talking to you on the phone today. I want you to know I'm praying for you about this particular thing. No big deal. You know, I prayed for him, wrote him a note, sent it to him. Um, about uh, probably two or three months later in our all-staff meeting with, the, with all of the faculty at the college, the president gets up and says, hey, i got to tell you the story. There's this business leader, and this guy I had talked to, was a, he was a significant leader in Joplin, and the president of the college had interacted with him. And this guy had said, hey, uh, you've got the greatest faculty in the world. I talked to this guy. And told him about this crisis that I was going through. And he prayed for me. And he sent me a note. I've never experienced that. I love what you guys are doing at that school. Um, when, when God nudges you to pray for someone. When you think, oh, I, I've got to remember. Man, don't miss that opportunity. Take up that challenge. Um, maybe you're in an environment where you're not supposed to pray. And you need to find a creative way to do that. Um, do that. It doesn't need to be a long prayer. I'm not talking about, you know, in the hallway at school taking 15 minutes to pray for somebody. Not, not that at all. But it's just having a conversation with God. God, please be with this person. They're struggling so much. Let them know that they're loved. Amen. Um, take up that challenge. Um, last thing. If, if Daniel had been mauled in the lion's den... Would his decision to continue to pray still have been right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the decision was not about what happened to him as a result. It was about his relationship with God. The challenge for us is to pray like we've never prayed before. Um, there's a question in the app notes this week that, that whether you're a part of a life group or not, I want you to wrestle with. It's, uh, it's there. This is, this is the question. What situation in your life would be easier if you ratcheted down your commitment to Jesus? What situation in your life would be easier if you hedged? Figure that out and don't do it. Don't fall to Satan. Um, Jesus came. Jesus came to take our sin on himself and to pave the way for an incredible relationship with God don't miss that as you pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the story of Daniel, for uh, the stuff that we've talked about today. God, um, help us. 
Help us figure out, help us learn how to talk to you naturally, consistently, and without regard to the consequence of doing so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing.